Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of the scriptures, just to hear them in English and Portuguese, just yet again ministers to our hearts, the beauty of your words. Lord, I pray that we would come to love your words given us in the word of God today. I pray for any who are new to the word of God, that this morning would help them to love the word of God to develop a new relationship with God's Word. And for those of us who have been trying to understand and read God's Word for many years, that we would return to that first love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. I, I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. So a quick introduction, just personal introduction. I'm Stuart. And I'm married to Catherine. Uh, Catherine would certainly have been here this morning, but we are in the process at Church of the Resurrection, which is a church in Wheaton that is the mother church here of City of Light. We're in the process of getting ready for our sort of big thing of the year, which we call the Easter Vigil, which is an extravaganza of music and song and dance and scripture that happens the day before Easter. And so Catherine is the artistic director, so she's, she's got a six-hour rehearsal ahead of her starting at 10.30 this morning. So that's where she is. Um, we have six children, which is probably one of the most important things to know about us is our family life that God has called us to. Uh, Madeline, Ellison, Jillian, Christian, Nathaniel, and Beckett. Every time I do it, I just feel good about myself. It's like, oh, yeah, I can still, that coconut oil's working. I can still remember. Um, so they, they range from ages 22 to nine. That's, that's our, our spectrum there. And I also get to be a dad over 30-plus churches in the Upper Midwest Diocese, which is a larger movement or family of churches that you guys are a part of here at City of Light. And that's one of the main things that I do is I get to pastor pastors and pastor church planters, um, pastor artists within our movement. And I get to also teach the Word of God. And that's what we're going to work on this morning together is we're going we're gonna to be in the Word of God uh, together this morning um, it was already read for us before. If you have a Bible with you or want to grab a Bible off of one of the chairs, we're going to um, be in a book called Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. You guys have been working through the book of Ephesians um, under this incredible uh, Una Familia, this wonderful sort of series of one family. Uh, and Ephesians has a lot to say about unity and about closeness. As a matter of fact, I would say that Ephesians, one way to think about the book of Ephesians, it's the book about closeness. It's a book about closeness to God. It's a book about closeness to one another. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be uh, working this morning, uh, verses 18 to 20. Uh, before we get that, I'd like to start with a story. So my wife Catherine, is, um, she's very involved in the arts, but she's also a teacher and uh, taught for many years. One year she was teaching in the public schools. And she actually uh, had a unique teaching opportunity that she didn't get to do very often. She was teaching uh, younger children with disabilities. And so she was uh, working through some flashcards 
with some of these children, and she had a she had a card, and she would show it to them, and she would do kind of a true or false thing. So she had this flashcard of of a person, and they were kind of hunched over a kitchen table, and you could see they were eating cereal. And the, and Catherine said with the flashcard, um, a person can eat breakfast alone. True or false? Person eating breakfast. Person can eat breakfast alone. And one of her students said, false, and vehemently, false. Catherine said, well, actually, Robert, no, I mean, it, it's true. A person can eat breakfast alone. And Robert, who is typified as disabled, although he had a profound ability, in this moment, it was very clear, he said, false. No one should ever eat breakfast alone. I, I even just get chills again thinking about Robert's understanding of people and an insight he had in that moment. Uh, of course, sometimes we have to eat breakfast alone. And some of us live alone. I mean, we, we eat breakfast alone. His point, of course, was bigger than that, right? Is that people are made for people. People are made for God. People are made to be close to others and to God. And he captured that. Okay, here's another true or false for you guys. We'll, we'll give you a flashcard, so to speak. A person can read scripture alone. To which I would have to say with Robert, false. Now, of course, we read scripture by ourselves. And if you're newer to walking with Jesus and getting to know and love Jesus, then one of the habits that you'll be encouraged to develop is to read scripture, to read the Bible, and to learn how to read the Bible. And we all have the goal of trying to read the Bible at least once a day. It's a goal that sometimes is overwhelming for many of us, but it's something that we try to do as followers of Jesus. So yes, we can read Scripture by ourselves, but we are never meant to read Scripture alone. The Scripture is actually an important communal activity. That indeed, when you read Scripture, I want to encourage you to begin to understand that you read Scripture as a son or a daughter. You read Scripture as somebody who's involved in a massive profound, dizzyingly diverse family. That you're reading scripture as a son or a daughter. You are a son and daughter of the Father in heaven, and you are a son or daughter of the church. And that what Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, wants to teach this morning is how do you understand your relationship with scripture? It is a relationship that happens in relationship to your Father in heaven as a son or daughter, and in relationship to the church of which you are a son or daughter. So as you come close to God, which is what Ephesians is about, and as you come close to one another, which is what Ephesians is about, so you also come close to his words. And indeed, if you're used to some Christian speak, you might hear the Bible referred to as the word. And that can actually become abstracted and a bit sterile. I actually find it helpful to talk about Scripture as his words, well, how, do you, how are you close to somebody? Well, in part, you're close by hearing their words and by speaking words to them. And you end up in a dialogical, conversational relationship by hearing people's words. And one of the key ways to be close to God and to be close to one another who are seeking to follow God is to be very close to the words he is speaking to us, which, of course, is this incredible gift, this incredible gift, the words of God. All right, so we have a couple of verses we're going to work out of. 
Um, I first want to talk about reading scripture um, as a son or daughter of your father in heaven, which is verses 18 and the first part of 19 especially. And then reading scripture as a son or daughter of the church, looking especially there at verse 19. Here's what I hope this teaching today will do for you. I am hoping this teaching will influence your thinking more than anything else. Sometimes when a, when a Bible teacher teaches, we're hoping to influence your behavior. And I do hope this will influence the behavior of seeking to read God's words more. So I would love that that happens. But the first thing I want to do, actually, is I want to influence how you think about the reading of the Bible. And I'm hoping that I will influence you as I teach in the Bible to not think about reading the Bible as a solo activity, as something you do alone. But you actually read the Bible as a son or a daughter in a relationship. All right. Reading Scripture as a son or daughter of your father. First and foremost, and the most important thing. Verse 18. For through him, we're referring to Jesus, Messiah, he who has come to bring God and man together by being fully God and fully human. For through Jesus, we have access. We have an access point. We have a way in, in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Instead of being a stranger or an alien, which another word that could be used there is an orphan, or instead of being disconnected or without profound community, you are a son or a daughter. You are a profoundly connected person. You have access to the Father in heaven through his son Jesus, whereby you become a son or daughter. And because you have access to the Father, we also see throughout Ephesians 2 especially, you have access to one another. Verse 14, Jesus himself is our peace. I think you guys have already worked on this. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. A lot to be said about that. I believe you guys have already had a teaching on that. But certainly we want to note that as we get close to the Father, we become close to one another. And we read scripture in that relationship to our Father. The Father's given us a gift then of community life together, which is the gift of the church. And now we see this in verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. So one of the key ways the church is defined a lot of ways is talked about as a bride of Jesus. The church is talked about as Jesus' body. The church is talked about as Jesus' household or the Father's household, which I think is a key word here in City of Light and in your life together as a community, whereby whether we are married or single, whether, whether we are younger or older, we are all together in a household. And the church is the household of God. Nobody does not belong in the life of the church as they give their life to the Father in heaven. There is a profound call as you give your life to the Father in heaven, you give your life to his son, Jesus. You come under the teaching and the belief in the words of God given to us. There's a profound call to belong. Now, it's a call. I realize it's often aspirational that for many of us, one of the most intense realities we experience is that we don't belong, that we don't connect, that we're in some way isolated. But the teachings of the scriptures are actually to bring us in and give us greater and greater sense of connection and being part of something. We're no longer strangers. So household life is really at the heart of the Christian life. Household life is at the heart of the Christian life. And as you read your Bibles, 
you read your Bibles as a son or a daughter, that is, you're part of an ancient family, your family tree's been around a very long time. You have hundreds, indeed thousands of family stories in your family tree. One thing the healthy families do when they get together is they tell stories. They tell stories about stuff that they did in the past. They tell stories about a grandma or a grandfather. Uh, my kids know the stories of, of Colonel Garrett Ellison. Um, and the reason he was named Colonel Garrett is because his mother um, had soldiers come to her door in the Civil War and threatened to burn the farm down. And she said, I won't, please don't burn the farm down. I'll name my firstborn son after you. What's your name? He said, Colonel Garrett, ma'am. And so she named her son Colonel Garrett. The last name was Ellison. And that's just a thing in our family, Colonel Garrett. That was actually his name. And we just tell that story, right? You, you just, but here's the thing. You've got thousands of stories in your family that you can tell together. And this is just in the scriptures. Then you have thousands of stories that are told from all around the world over the centuries of the crazy things followers of Jesus done. They, they, they done them in Armenia. They did them in Northern Africa. They did them throughout Arabia and Israel. All over the world, crazy stories. You have more stories than you could ever sit around and tell at one time. What we do at Easter Vigil, the day before Easter Day, is we sit around and we have stories told to us, nine stories in particular, from our past in the scriptures. We are a storytelling family. This is part of our storied life together. And that's part of your heritage as a son or a daughter. Sons and daughters know the stories of their family. And these stories belong to all of us. Jesus' story, that's your story. He's your family story. And he has so many stories that he told as well. So you're part of an ancient family, but you're also part of a global family. So your family goes way back, all right? And your family goes way wide. You're part of a global family. That's something that you guys have a particular passion for here at City of Light, and I'm so thankful for that passion. Again, just to see another language up on the screen, to hear another language being spoken besides English in the reading of the scriptures. That's part of your global heart, your racial reconciliation heart. We're a global family. But when you read your Bible, we have to learn how to read our Bibles globally and to let other global Bible teachers and Bible thinkers speak into our particular life here in North America. So I've had this experience. Both in reading ancient writers, who when I read them I go, wow, they think differently than I do. And then hanging around with global followers of Jesus and listening to their teachings, I realized, wow, they think differently than I do. So I had this great kind of Venn diagram moment where it all came together around one way in which global and ancient thinks very differently than me. So I read an ancient thinker named Gregory of Nyssa several summers ago. I studied one of his essays, and I did a deep dive into his, into his thinking and teaching around the Bible. And one of my big takeaways was, wow, Gregory of Nyssa isn't as sensitive as I am, which may seem kind of weird, but I read this guy, and he's like, he's so focused on life in the kingdom of God. He's so focused that our life is momentary, and while there are afflictions and pains that are here, he's all about getting to heaven and living your life eternally with God. I realized, wow, I'm, I'm very sensitive about what happens to me every day that I don't like. And Greg of Nyssa is focused on where we're going in heaven. I thought, wow, I feel a bit hypersensitive when I read Gregory of Nyssa, and I feel confronted by that in a really good way. Then I spent the entire summer in Brazil. We just heard the language of Brazil, Portuguese. 
and my wife grew up in Brazil, and we, we spent a whole three months in Brazil on my sabbatical. And so I had a whole time immersed in it completely the culture, and we were always with Brazilians and immersed in Brazilian culture. And again, actually, Kathy and I were talk, processing our time at the end of the three months, and I said, so what's one of the key things that you felt were different as we try to walk with Jesus, and we walk with Jesus with Brazilians? And she said, I realized again how sensitive we are as Americans and as American Christians. We're so easily offended, she said, compared to the Brazilian Christians that we spent time with. So I had this experience where both by being immersed in ancient kind of church thinking and then global church thinking, I actually got to grow. And I went, wow, I don't want to be so hypersensitive all the time. Maybe that's not helpful in my walk with Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being a sensitive person. That's important and responsive, but hypersensitive, easily offended. I would never have gotten there on my own American way. Had I not involved myself with ancient thinking and global thinking, I would never have had that confrontation, which I hope has grown and changed me to say, I'd like to be a less offended person. I'd like to be a more heaven-focused person. I'd like to put less on today and all that has happened today and now I have to be treated today and more on where I'm going. No, I, I thank God for my ancient family and my global family. I could give you numerous examples of that. So if you're a, a podcast listener, if you like to listen to sermons or teachings, I'd highly encourage you to, in that mix, make sure you're listening to global teachers and preachers. If you can make this happen, and even in your own church family here, it's really important when you're reading the Bible, studying the Bible, it's so helpful to read that Bible or study that Bible, do that Bible study with somebody from a different ethnic background and ask them, how do you look at this? How do you think about this? And by the way, it goes both ways. I, I've gotten very close to several Nigerians. And they're always happy to confront me. And they're often really accurate and it's really helpful. But you know, I got some things I've been able to confront them on because they don't have the perfect culture either. Here's an amazing thing. No one has the perfect culture. Almost as if it was designed that way. So we need each other to have the fullness of the kingdom of God. And when you read your Bible, right, with others from different backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and experiences and languages, they help you enter into the kingdom of God. And you get to embrace all the good that God's given you in your culture, right? And you also get to be clear about what's not good or of the Lord. And they do the same. It's incredibly enlivening, isn't it? Oh, the words of God. And you get to learn other stories from their cultures of the way Jesus has operated through the church and through ministry in their culture. And you gain more stories. So we use scriptures as sons and daughters of our Father. We have access to the Father. We have the gift of the church. And then we have the gift of the scriptures themselves. We see this in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What is that? That's basically the Bible. What Paul is talking about there, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets is the Bible. He's kind of using a shortcut, if you will. So the prophets refer to the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. The apostles referred to the New Testament scriptures that were being written in this very moment. They didn't even fully know what the collection of New Testament scriptures would be yet. But we thought the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the foundation of the life in Jesus, has everything to do with the fullness of the scriptures. What then would have been known as the Hebrew scriptures and what certainly now would be known as the New Testament. So our family culture, it's, it's an apostles and prophets culture. It's a love of the Bible culture. The love of what they've given us in the apostles and the prophets. The scripture is something which is full of life. John Calvin, 16th century church thinker, 
Bible thinker said this, scripture, he said, is something alive and full of hidden power, which leaves nothing in anyone untouched. That we engage with the apostles and the prophets, there's so much power there that if we'll open ourselves to the power of the Bible, it leaves nothing in us untouched. It might touch our affections, it might touch our habits, it might touch our thinking, but that's how powerful the Bible is. Nothing in us is left untouched. So you think about reading the Bible over the course of the rest of your life, where the Bible's gonna touch you in different ways. Touching your mind, your body, your habits. And it's the foundation, Paul says. It's a deep foundation. Uh, my wife, Catherine's, one side of her family um, lived in the state of Oklahoma, where the reality of tornado is very serious. And so her grandfather actually had the privilege of building his own house. So when he built a house in tornado season, he actually did this thing that many in Oklahoma would do, where they had a two-story house, but the foundation, the basement of the house went even deeper than the house was high. Because massive storms at some point would come, and they would have a foundation. Even if the two stories got wiped away, they had even more square footage underneath the ground than they had above the ground. And you've got some serious square footage built below you. And no matter what storm comes in our lives, right? The suffering that's inevitable, the disappointment that's inevitable, the betrayals that are inevitable, right? The economic challenges that are inevitable, no matter when that comes, and the thing is blown away, and people go, oh my word, this looks horrible. You go, well, this is really hard. This is really painful. I'm not denying that I'm in a lot of pain, but I got a whole foundation that was higher than what I had above me. It's deep, and it's strong, and I was ready for the storm. Amen? See, I want to get you connected more to the words of God because I want you to be ready for storms because they're so real, and they come so hard, and they come so quick. When a storm comes, you go, okay, this is horrible. I don't like this. I actually hate it. I want it to pass, but I've got a foundation, and I know who I am. I'm a son or daughter of my Father in heaven. I'm connected to his words. I'm connected to a global community. It isn't just an idea or a clever slogan. It's real, and I'm connected to an ancient community. I read the Bible as a son or daughter of my Father in heaven. All right. Let's keep working on this, you guys. Let me read the scripture with the church. And I already alluded to that some. I want to do more on that as, as a second main point, where we read that we're fellow citizens with the saints. So that, that phrase there, fellow citizens with the saints, no longer strangers and aliens, that's really church. Members of the household of God, that's church. Um, as you read scripture with the church, here's kind of how I think about it. It's an in part, and some of you may have known your grandparents, some of you may not have. I, I had the joy of growing up 10 minutes from both of my sets of grandparents. My, my kids haven't had that, but I did. Um, and so I had a particular set of grandparents I was very close to. And I loved going to their house. And when I got into high school, for some reason, it just got into my head, I'm going to go visit them all the time. So I went over there all the time to visit my grandparents. And I can, I can remember everything about the house. I remember the milk. I remember the sort of dry yellow cake my grandmother always had in a tin. I remember... The living room, I remember the sound of the grandfather clock ticking. It was just a very profound experience that I have a lot of sensory memories from. And I would go there, and I would feel like I was part of something bigger. 
and they loved to tell family stories, and they would tell family stories, and I would listen to them. And I had this small place, but I had a really secure place. They were always really glad when I showed up and walked in the door. And then they began asking me about my life, and I would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and they had tons of time. They were never in a hurry. I never remember them saying, oh, so sorry, Stuart, we have to leave right now. They always had time. And things that seemed so urgent to me, like I would share like these urgent things, they just kind of took in stride as they listened. They didn't seem nearly as, as fussed as I was about things. Things that I actually thought unimportant, that I would sort of casually say, they would actually lean in and actually see more urgency than what I was seeing in the moment. And the tradition of the church, which is a phrase that can be challenging for some of us, church tradition, is what I want to talk some more about right now. I want to say the church tradition is a whole lot more like my experience visiting my grandparents than, for example, visiting a museum, um, which can be of great interest, but quite honestly, there's some museums that I think are just really boring. I won't say which ones. That would be wrong, and Catherine would chide me later, but she knows that there are museums in Chicago I love, and there are museums that are honestly, I can't wait to leave after a half an hour, and I only go because I guess it's good for my kids. Okay, so I'm, I'm not huge on museums. Um, but I am actually huge on visiting grandparents, and I'm huge on visiting with family because I think that's really exciting and fun. So church tradition for us as followers of Jesus has a whole lot more to do with sitting in the living room of an auntie and uncle, of cousins, of grandparents, and taking in their bigger world. I love this from a 20th century Christian thinker, Anglican thinker C.S. Lewis. He said this, we need an intimate knowledge of the past. Here's why. Not that the past is any magic about it, he said, but because we cannot study the future, which I think is actually really helpful. In other words, like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea. We can't really study it. We can't get to the future. So he says, very logically, you should probably know something about your past. We actually have that. We should study it. But he says, here's another reason why we should study it. That the past is in some degree immune from the great cataract of nonsense, from the great waterfall of nonsense that pours from the press and the microphone of this age, and certainly we could add to that now uh, multiple social media platforms. The waterfall of nonsense. And somehow when you're in the past and you're connected to what's come before, you're able to handle what's happening right now in the present in a way that you wouldn't in the same way. And tradition in the scriptures are known as being a relational reality where something is handed down. The word for tradition in the scriptures is handing over, handed down. It involves hands. So it's actually a very relational word. It's paradosis. Two hands, two ways, two, two handing things down to somebody else. So this is not the tevia, a fiddler on the roof, where, where, and some, some Christians come from a background where they can't stand tradition. They have kind of a, a tevia complex where they're like, oh, no, it's going to be all about tevia, demanding tradition. And, and it's always rigid. And it's going to be stultifying. And it's going to slow things down if we somehow read the Bible with tradition. But indeed, I would say, no, no, no. The Bible's understanding is that tradition is the handing over of what's been given and what's been taught. Indeed, that's how Paul talks about it over and over again, is I hope you're following the handing over that I gave you. I was there with you. I'm handing this to you. He's there with us. He's here with us now in the eternal word of Scripture, handing something to us out of his own life experience and out of the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So as we come into reading the Scripture with the church, we realize, okay, we're reading it with our grandparents. We're reading it in their living room. And this is part of the tradition. We never read the Bible alone. We never read the Bible alone. When I was trained to study the Scriptures, I was trained and focused on 
what's happened before this text, what's happened in the historical surroundings of this text, which is all good, what's going on in Ephesus. I studied all of that. But no one ever taught me to ask, what happened after this was written? I was never taught to ask the question, so what did Augustine the African think about this? What did Irenaeus the French person think about this? No one ever taught me to think that too. And I've realized, wow, I want to know all of that. I want to have the handing over, and then how it was handed over to those after the scriptures were written. How did they read the scriptures? I love this quote from another uh, 16th century thinker, Martin Luther. He says, scripture is the light, and tradition, the handing over, is the lantern. Scripture is the light. I mean, who cares about a lantern if you don't have the light? The light's first and foremost. Scripture's the light, but tradition, paradosis, handing over, is the lantern. It helps carry it from generation to generation to generation. For some of us, tradition is not a grandparent that we know. It's like an unknown second cousin. Tradition is like, I don't even know what that's about. It just seems foreign. And like my parents mentioned it or my grandparents mentioned this cousin, but I have no relationship with them. Why do I want tradition? I mean, does that just create problems? And it has, and it can. But it's, it's just disconnected from me. It's not relevant to Scripture. And my caution would be that if we don't involve tradition, that is to say our spiritual grandparents, global and ancient, and how we're reading the Bible, then we move into a radical individualism. We're actually, we can do whatever we want with the Scriptures that we're reading. And if you've been a Jesus follower for any time at all, you've heard some people make some pretty insane, unwise decisions, and they might have even used the Bible to do it. And you've heard teachers who will teach new things because it gets people excited and engaged, although no teacher before them has ever taught that about the Bible. As if there's no relationship with those who've gone before. To move into a kind of highly individualistic reading of your Bible, think that you can read your Bible alone is to say, I'm actually alone. I'm actually not connected at all. I don't need other cultures. I don't need those who have gone before me. It's actually a highly dangerous position to be in. And what I want to help change our thinking about is that we want to move into a place where we're reading the Bible with those who have gone before us, reading the Bible with those who are in other cultures, and we're actually doing that together. Some of you may be familiar with the phrase sola scriptura. It came out of the 16th century. It was an important rallying cry for those who are trying to bring a corrective, and a challenge to the Roman Catholic Church at the time. Solo scripture simply means that scripture is our final authority. But it doesn't mean solo scriptura. It doesn't mean the Bible alone. It was never meant to mean the Bible alone. That is not a part of our tradition. For those of us who've been influenced by the 16th century would be called the Reformation. That's never been a part of how we thought about it. So let me, let me, as I wrap up a little bit, let me, let me do a little more teaching on this. So as we think about reading the Bible as a son and daughter of the Father, and reading the Bible as a son or daughter of the church, and reading the Bible with the gift of tradition, what is tradition? Let me say a little bit more about what is tradition for us. Now, I think Scripture is understandable, whether you know all these different pieces or not, honestly. I think Scripture has the gift of people being able to pick it up and read it and meet the Lord Jesus on any page. Some pages are more challenging than others. But on any page. Indeed, I believe that it's just, it's just made to be connected. It's made to reach the human heart. 
But as those of us who want to understand even more fully as followers of Jesus, how we have a relationship with Scripture, it's important to understand, okay, so what is tradition around it? Well, one of the key parts of tradition are what we call the creeds. And we'll say a creed together in just a few minutes, where followers and leaders in the church early on of Jesus gathered together and said, this captures the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they captured it in the creed. It's a concrete teaching. It's mostly about God as Father, mostly about Jesus. It is not comprehensive for the whole Bible. It's not meant to be a comprehensive teaching of everything in the Scriptures. It's meant to to, to distill an understanding of what it means and who God is and, and who Jesus is. Second, not only do we have creeds, we have councils. One of the key ways that Christianity was built, and we understand the Scriptures, is that people gathered together to say, how do we understand this challenging teaching of who Jesus is, of what the Bible is about? So again, they wouldn't do it alone. They would gather from all around, the ancient world especially, all kinds of cultures, gathered together in different parts of the world, Constantinople, they would gather, they'd gather in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, one of the very first things that we see in Acts 15 is the leaders come into Jerusalem, and they're working out and thinking through how do we understand the relationship with the Gentile people as Jewish people. And no, not one person, they didn't say one person, hey, go figure that out. Hey, John, you were close to Jesus. You put his head on his chest on, at the Last Supper. You go figure that out and come tell us what to do. They all gathered together and said, how do we understand this together? Again, following the same thing I've been talking about. So part of tradition is where councils would gather. They actually would help to develop the creeds. And they help us understand what is happening. That's a really important part of our tradition, is a collaborative gathering together. We then had early church thinkers, known as early church fathers, who would gather as early church thinkers, and they, again, would think through what is it that we need to understand, and they would teach. And so it's very important that we begin to learn how to read some of these early church thinkers and how it is that they were thinking 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago about the life of faith. Finally, tradition's creeds, it's councils and bishops, it's, it's early church thinkers. Finally, it's just the prayer and the practice of the church. Part of our tradition is what we do when we say these prayers that are up on our screen or here in our beautiful prayer card here, is that the way in which our church has been formed and shaped and the way we understand the scriptures is how we pray. The Bible is not disconnected by how we pray. It isn't disconnected from how we worship. They're actually together. Indeed, 85% of our prayer book of how we pray is directly from the Bible. So when you think about reading your Bible, and you think about engaging in the prayers we, we, we pray on a Sunday, for example, you're actually engaging in something that is deeply connected to each other. And how we pray affects how we believe. And how we believe affects how we pray. We need all of these components to make up a strength of tradition. Final note. I heard the story of somebody who, um, they would always, when they were making a certain piece of beef, they would always cut it in half. And they didn't know why they did it, but they saw their mom always cut the beef in half. They just always cut it in half. And finally someone said to them, why do you always cut it in half? Is it to make it more tender? Is it to, is it to make it a better piece of meat? And she said, you know, I have no idea. I just always saw my mom cut it in half. So she finally asked her mom, why do you always cut the meat in half? She goes, well, my pan was too small, right? And so I needed to put two pieces in there rather than one long one. So like, honestly, like, she didn't need to cut that meat in half. Like, that's an unhelpful tradition. Like, don't worry about cutting the meat in half. Don't, don't waste the energy. You don't need to do that, right? That would be a very unhelpful tradition. That, that's not a helpful tradition. But then there's a whole tradition around oatmeal. And there's been a whole 
thing written about in oatmeal. And somebody's argued, you know, to have your oatmeal, you should soak your oatmeal the night before, which actually many generations prior would do. And people say, well, why would you do that? Is that just like cutting the meat in half? It's just some bad habit you've gained? No. Actually, different, different scientific tests have shown that you will digest your oatmeal better if you soak it the night before. That's, that's free for you guys today, by the way. All right? So the person who was arguing said, look, the first tradition, unhelpful, unnecessary. It's just an empty tradition, which we have some traditions in the church that are just empty traditions. They, don't, they, don't, they really, really don't matter. Like, necessarily what you wear, right? That's not that important. We can embrace it and keep it part of our life together, but it isn't that important. But this tradition actually turns out, it's actually really good for you to soak your oatmeal the night before. That's a nourishing tradition. What's that? And it cooks faster. Amy says it cooks faster. There you go. So when you think about reading the Bible with the church, you don't need an empty tradition. We're not trying to get that to you. But you need a nourishing tradition of reading it with your grandparents in the living room. So when you read your Bible tomorrow, and no matter where you are in your experience with Jesus, I want to encourage you to read your Bible tomorrow. If you don't have a certain Bible reading plan, Father Trevor or one of our leaders would love to help you get connected with just how to even read your Bible, start reading your Bible. If you're not even sure what to do and you forget to ask somebody, just read Ephesians 2 again. All right, you know where it is? Here it is. So when you read it tomorrow, read it with your global brothers and sisters in mind. I realize you may not know what they'd be thinking in the moment, but read it with them in mind. Read it knowing that somebody somewhere else in the world that looks very different than you and has a very different language than you are reading the same words as you. Somewhere tomorrow, someone will be reading Ephesians chapter 2. I can guarantee that. So read it knowing there's other people reading it with you. As all, read it in your grandparents' living room. Read it knowing that there's those who have gone before you who actually have more, more wisdom than you. They live more life of you. And they're reading it. And they've, and they've read it and you can trust that. As you read it, Read it with your Father in heaven. Read it knowing you have full access to him, that your story is one of belonging, and your story is a story that is part of thousands of stories that your Father in heaven has given us. And read it connected to him. Father in heaven, I just pray that you'll just encourage us to read our Bibles with you, Father in heaven. You've given us the gift of the scriptures, the the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Lord, and I pray, encourage us to read our Bibles with those who have gone before. That we'll just trust, Lord, that we don't have to read it alone. And I pray as well, Lord, that you will give some a vision of, of embracing and receiving the gift of an even deeper foundation than they've ever known. That more than anything else they can do about worrying about the future or the crisis that may come, they can be connected to the words of God that will give them a foundation, that even when that storm comes and blows away both stories, they've got more deeper than they had higher. They've got more and they're ready for whatever may come. And I pray that you'll give us a foundation in your word and a deep sense, Lord, that no matter what comes, we have a security in you and the words you've given us in one another that we're also seeking for. Come Holy Spirit to this church as they read the Bible together. They read the Bible learning you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.